In today's episode, Britain backs fracking, a woman discovers she can smell Parkinson's, and muse are back in the charts with new techie tricks. But first, it was on this day in 1974, scientists first reported that freon gases released from aerosol spray cans were destroying the ozone layer. This week, the government has lifted its ban on fracking in place since 2019 after a series of concerning tremors. The lifting of the moratorium in Britain signals a move towards a greater dependence on fossil fuels. Business Secretary Jacob Rees-Mogg confirmed the move, saying the strengthening the country's energy security is an absolute priority in light of the war in Ukraine. Do we really want them to be dependent on strange dictatorships that wage war in this world? Or do we want to have our own security, our own supplies? Do we want to maximise what we receive from the North Sea and what we receive from underneath our feet? This seems to me, Mr Speaker, to be just good common sense. Fracking is the use of hydraulic fracturing, which uses high-pressure liquid to release gas from underground shale formations. The 2019 Conservative Manifesto pledged not to allow fracking unless the science shows categorically it can be done safely. According to a report by the British Geological Survey, and as far as many campaigners are aware, the science has not changed. However, the same report also points out that other industries are allowed to cause more seismic activity than fracking ever was and suggests more consistent standards. It's what fracking companies have been lobbying for. This is Charles McAllister, Director of UK Onshore Oil and Gas. If you apply the regulations that you apply to shale gas to the construction, geothermal, quarrying or coal mining industry, none of them would be able to operate in the UK. But looser regulations are exactly what activists like Nick Danby fear. Here he is speaking with Sky News. We're in the grip of a climate crisis and to even be considering launching a brand new fossil fuel industry is just absolutely absurd. It makes no sense whatsoever, given that this government is committed to net zero by 2050. And as Liz Truss says her government is preparing to grant 100 new licences for oil and gas drilling in the North Sea, she's ushering in a new era of fossil fuel exploration and extraction in the UK. Whilst the government says cheap renewables are also part of the answer, critics say it's going backwards, searching for more oil and gas when it should be doing more to stop using them altogether. Launched from California in November last year, NASA's DART spacecraft is all set to crash into an asteroid with the aim of altering its trajectory. Three, two, one. And liftoff of the Falcon 9 and DART on NASA's first... The mission is designed to deflect an asteroid from a potential collision with Earth. Impact is scheduled for Monday the 26th of September and it will see the spacecraft crash into an asteroid called Demophis. If it all goes to plan, it will alter the asteroid's path through the cosmos. As it happens, NASA scientists hope they can also capture images just before the impact. By the time you get to about 20 seconds prior to impact, that's when it's about 144 pixel. You're moving really fast. So our requirement on the DART mission is to get one image in the last 20 seconds. That's DART mission system engineer Elena Adams. Our calculations and the way we've been streaming and how well we've been performing so far, we think that we might be able to get image as late as, you know, 
two and a half seconds, or maybe even one and a half second prior to impact. So you really are seeing it real time. You're seeing that impact. Though DART is only a test and the asteroid it's targeting isn't a threat to planet Earth, this real-world test will inform scientists whether this type of planetary defence could be a reliable option against future asteroids heading towards us. Still to come on the Sunday 7, a woman develops a test for Parkinson's with her nose and evidence of life is found on Mars. Parkinson's disease is a long-term condition in which parts of the brain become progressively damaged over many years. The three main symptoms of Parkinson's affect physical movement. It can cause tremors, slow movement and muscle stiffness. It's thought around 1 in 500 people are affected by the disease. And whilst there are currently no tests that can conclusively show that you have Parkinson's, that could soon change. Joy Millen is a Scottish woman who discovered she could detect Parkinson's through smell and has inspired scientists to develop a swab test that could be used to diagnose it. Twelve years prior to her diagnosis, Joy had noticed her husband smelled different. Les uh, developed this smell when he was just coming up for 32 and I kept saying to him, you're not showering properly. And uh, he became quite angry about it at first. But I decided, well, we have to live with it, that's it. And didn't think much of it and it would come and go, but it was getting stronger and stronger. Although Joy noticed her husband's scent change when he was in his early 30s, it was only years later after joining a Parkinson's support group that she put two and two together. At the first meeting, we were a bit late, everybody was sat there and uh, my nose kept on, hmm, there's that smell. From there, Joy and her husband, Les, decided they had to find a researcher. They got in contact with Dr. Tilo Kunath from Edinburgh University to get the ball rolling. That started a process which has now resulted in a swab test developed by academics at the University of Manchester. They say the swab is 95% accurate when it comes to telling whether people have Parkinson's. Professor Perdetta Barron led the research and explains the process. In clinics or indeed at home, people are swapped on the back of their neck and with a piece of gauze or with a Q-tip. The Q-tip or the gauze are put into a Ziploc bag and they're sent to our laboratory. And then we put each of them in a, in a tube and we allow that tube to be slightly heated up and then we inject that into our gas chromatography our spectrometer. The researchers analysed sebum, the oily substance on skin, which was collected by using a cotton swab on patients' backs, an area where it is less often washed it, away. I think sebum is a really remarkable substance. We found that it's just as good as blood in diagnosing um, disease and it is much more long-lasting and as I said that's something we all knew um, so we're really excited about its future potential as a diagnostic biofluid. James Joplin is the Scotland Director of Parkinson's UK. Speaking to the BBC, he said the discovery could make a real difference to people living with the disease. I think this could be a hugely important difference for people with Parkinson's. Currently, with no definitive test, people have to wait months or years to be diagnosed. So the fact that you could understand you have the condition, get the treatment and support you need, and that researchers could begin to develop new treatments is incredibly important. The scientists now need to validate their findings in a clinical lab before it can be used for patients.
Is there life on Mars? It's a question that scientists have pondered for years, but now we might be close to an answer. NASA's Perseverance rover is in its second campaign on the Red Planet. It has collected more rock core samples from an old river delta in its efforts to discover signs of life. Reports say that the presence of organic matter in some of the most recent samples suggests that Jazeera Crater had potentially habitable surroundings 3.5 billion years ago. This is Sananda Sharma, a scientist on the Perseverance project, speaking at the latest media briefing. It's clear that we are uncovering a bigger story that's happening in Jezero Crater. So we found signals that we think are possibly from organic matter on every target that we've observed with Sherlock to date. And this isn't really unexpected. It aligns with what we've learned from studies on Earth and Martian meteorites and from Mars research from our sibling rover, Curiosity. However, it does say that organics seem to persist in the very harsh Martian surface environment, which is very exciting for us. NASA now hopes to return the samples to Earth as early as 2023 for an in-depth analysis. Still to come on the Sunday 7, dolphin wingmen and an ancient tooth could alter history. Right after this. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to the Sunday 7. Follow us for your weekday news espresso. Or maybe try our UK edition. It's all in the usual places. Cooperation is widespread in human societies and is one of the hallmarks of our success. It's so ingrained into humanity that it was once thought to distinguish us from our chimpanzee ancestors. Now, a research team led by the University of Bristol has discovered that after humans, dolphins build more alliances than any other species. Research suggests that touch is fundamental to human bonding and like us humans, it's pretty important for dolphins too. But as the numbers of these relationships grow, they have less time for the physical interactions that build them. Instead, they rely on more time efficient vocal exchanges. However, this has only been examined in humans and other non-human primates. So in our study, we set out to test the social bonding hypothesis 
in a socially complex group of wild Indo-Pacific bottlenose dolphins. Alongside international colleagues, Bristol scientists examined nine years of acoustic and behavioural data from a dolphin population in Shark Bay, Western Australia. Emma Shoreskin was the study's lead author. In our study population, male dolphins perform alliances that will work together to herd females and secure paternities. These alliances can last decades and are formed between 4 to 14 individuals. These friendships are vital for their reproductive success, and so it's really important that these dolphins have good social skills. Specifically, we looked at signature whistles, which are vocalizations unique to each individual dolphin that function much like human names, and physical bonding behaviors, such as rubbing and petting, where dolphins will use their flippers to rub up against or pet their close friends. Our study concluded that dolphins do indeed prefer to exchange signature whistles with close allies. However, we found that vocalizations were the most common among pairs that did not spend the most time together. So why do dolphins do this, and are they the only ones? The dolphins use these vocalizations to bond at a distance, because they simply don't have enough time in their day to physically bond with all of their close friends. If they had to spend quality time with each of their close allies, they wouldn't have any time left over to forage or go after females. Thus, they have to rely on the use of these signature whistles to bond at a distance with some friends that they simply don't have the chance to hang out with all of the time. This is true for a lot of other social animals, such as chimpanzees, lemurs, and other primates, who also use vocalizations to bond at a distance. Other animals can even communicate via scent or chemicals, such as certain fish species. There is a huge variety of ways to communicate across the animal kingdom. Georgian archaeologists have found a 1.8 million year old tooth belonging to an early species of human. Researchers say the discovery cements the region as the home of one of the earliest prehistoric human settlements in Europe. The implications for that, not just for this site, but for Georgia itself and for the story of humans leaving Africa 1.8 million years ago, uh, the implications are enormous. That's Jack Pert, a British archaeology student in the region. Uh, it extends human occupation in this area from Dmanisi all the way over to here and it really solidifies Georgia as a really important place for paleoanthropology and the human story in general. Blockchain technology has been the hottest tech trend of late. You might be more familiar with its applications in cryptocurrency and art NFTs, but now the technology is making its way into the music industry. With the release of their new album called Will of the People, a muse has become the first UK number one album with NFT technology. To find out what this means, we caught up with tech reporter Will Guyot. Hi Will, thanks for joining us. So, how does it work and what does it mean for the music album to have NFT technology? The idea is that ownership of a digital asset is recorded in what's known as the blockchain. So the idea is any digital asset can be a non-fungible token and you can attach ownership via having somebody named within the blockchain. And in the case of music and in the case of Muse's album, they released a thousand copies 
as NFTs and those people who bought them were able to have their name recorded on the blockchain as the original people who purchased that digital album. Do you think NFTs have a place in music? Well, digital files are very dull. Uh, lots of people love buying vinyl albums. They'll help. You can get limited edition cassettes these days. It's about collectability and supporting artists. And that's one of the things that comes from these music NFTs that I think is quite interesting. Muse have managed to sell a thousand copies of a digital file at essentially a premium cost. Most people now stream music, but this ownership and the NFT thing gives fans some ownership of that particular asset. So from that perspective, I see it working in music. And there's some really good examples. I heard about the story of a small time rapper called Halik Moore. He only made $181 on Spotify last year, but he made $250,000 by selling music NFTs. Uh, he was one of the first people into the space. So it's clearly proved much more profitable for him than all of the traditional methods that musicians are now having to use to get music out there digitally. Who are the people buying into music NFTs? Well, it's interesting. And I think if you looked at the Muse example with the thousand people, I'm sure there'll be some idiots in there who think that they're going to be uh, making millions of pounds from their Muse NFT. Uh, newsflash, you won't be. But there's probably a lot of super fans of the group in there who thought, hey, this is a really cool way to buy the music. I was going to download it or stream it anyway. I don't mind spending a little bit of a premium because I'm such a super fan of the band. Um, that sort of thing, uh, I think, is where many people will uh, will purchase it what worries me and concerns me is if we get into a situation whereby like with the whole digital art world whereby basically like i said you people are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on these awful apes vaping or doing whatever they're doing um i, I feel i feel that if you can keep the value of these things realistic and people don't suddenly think they're going to make tons of money from them music nfts in music could be a very sensible thing could this trend change how the music industry operates? Would it be better or would it be for worse? I don't know if NFTs are going to be big enough to change how, how the music industry operates. But given that uh, your average stream on Spotify now earns an artist about 0.0001 pence in the UK, I think the industry has to adapt and has to be new things. That's why people are selling you know, collectible vinyl, collectible cassette tapes. There's even bands releasing stuff on wax cylinder in, from the from the 19th century in 2022 in order to try and make some money and stand out from other parts of the industry. Will you be going out to get an NFT album anytime soon? I'm definitely not buying Muse's album. I couldn't think of anything worse than listening to more views. But um, if there's a decent um, album from a, a musician I support or they're doing something interesting in the digital space, I might consider it. But I'm not going to spend over the odds on something because it's not going to make me rich and I won't be retiring on the, the proceeds of selling my uh, first Muse NFT album, I can tell you. This has been the Sunday 7. However you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with the regular Smart 7 Ireland edition. Have a great rest of the weekend. Hi, this is Kira from the Smart 7 Ireland edition. Just to let you know, we're pausing this podcast from Friday the 25th of August, but you can still get up to speed in just seven minutes if you search the Smart 7 and catch up with our UK edition. Thanks for listening.